This episode is sponsored by Jabberbox. Jabberbox is a workplace solutions company filling a critical void in the public marketplace, bringing privacy to commercial and public spaces like airports. Jabberbox offers private sessions for work and wellness in a quiet and plush environment. In fact, each Jabberbox booth offers a unique and secure Wi-Fi connection and is equipped with a desk, full-seat banquet, power-up outlets and USB charging, flight tracking tools, terminal maps, and a photo booth app. What more do you want? Additionally, you get a touchscreen monitor, camera, speaker, and microphone, which enables all modern-day road warriors to be productive on the go. Jabberbox operates in six airports, including O'Hare in Terminal 5, JFK in Terminal 4, LaGuardia in the Central Terminal B, Oakland in Terminal 2, CVG in Concourse B, and in Pittsburgh's Concourses B and C. For more information on how to bring Jabberbox to your airport, please visit Jabberbox.com. That's J-A-B-B-R-R-B-O-X, Jabberbox.com. Welcome to the Airport Experience News Podcast. I'm Ramon Lowe, publisher of AXN and the host of this pod. Well, this is episode 81, and here I speak with Mark Gale of Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport. And you know what? It's always great to do these interviews in person. And here, Mark and I spoke at the airport offices, and we discussed everything that's going on at Fort Lauderdale. I mean, everything. Because there is a lot going on. And it's not just the opening of new restaurants and stores or the renovation that's underway or the unbelievable plans they have for the airport in the years to come. It's pretty much everything. And it's all really, really exciting. Anyway, here is my conversation with Mark Gale. So I'm here with Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport CEO Mark Gale. I almost said Philadelphia International. Almost, by, almost, by the way. Um, apologies to Shelly. You know, I, I, it's just force of habit because you and I spoke about your time at Philly. Yeah. Right? Um, no offense taken. It was just a, a highlight release today that uh, Shelley was named one of the yes. most admired CEOs in the, in the Philadelphia region by the Philadelphia Business Journal. So kudos and congratulations to Shelley. She does a wonderful job. There you go. Congratulations, Shelley. But, um, well, Mark, thanks for taking the time to speak with me in uh, your wonderful offices here in, uh, in Fort Lauderdale. Thank you. I appreciate you coming out. Uh, we always enjoy time uh, with Airport Experience News, and we look forward to helping spread the story of, of FLL, um, our new iconic uh, yes. three-letter identifiers on the side of our garage. It, it's garnered a lot of attention. Uh, your mouth can get kind of caught up with words trying to say <laughs> Broward County, Fort Lauderdale, Hollywood International Airport yes. at Dania Beach. Uh, and that is how uh, it is recognized at times, um, but the FLL is, uh, is much cleaner and simpler. Well, I, I love the new branding. Uh, just let me take a step aside for a second um, because it's it looks more modern. Nothing against um, you know the previous branding, which you can still see, but I love it's just um, it's very reflective of the updates that you guys have made to the airport. And when I uh, was thinking of a reason to speak with you, because I've always wanted to interview you anyway, um, one of the words that came up in, in my head was just transformation of the airport, of the region, et cetera. And that's really the basis for some of the questions I'd love to, to ask you today. Um, and my first question really is just, let's talk about the region as a whole. Um, you know, Broward County, maybe a little bit of Dade and Palm Beach, but just talk about um, the development of the region and obviously how this benefits the airport. I think that the transformation, if you will, of the airport is, is certainly not um, isolated to the airport infrastructure. I, I think in many respects, we help drive some of the change sure. and transformation that we're seeing around the county. I, I sometimes grab the old saying, this isn't your father's Buick, uh, this isn't your father's airport, if you will. Mm -hmm. We have undergone uh, a, 
uh, a terrific amount of change just within the last 10 to 15 years. The airport um, has been identified as a major economic engine for the region, as is our, our, uh, our sister seaport, uh, Port Everglades, um, and, and some other uh, main engine drivers as well, the convention center, and things that we'll talk about in terms of their, their development. But Broward County in general uh, is, I believe, on a very positive trajectory. Uh, we've seen a lot of things in the nation that have been going well. Um, but here locally in Broward, we have a growing population, um, approximately 2 million folks. When I left Philadelphia, the, the Philadelphia city is Philadelphia County. They're one in the same population as about 1.6 million. We're much more spread out here in Broward with 31 different uh, municipalities or cities um, and then unincorporated areas uh, that, that make up the county. But 2 million strong. We stretch into uh, Palm Beach County to the north, as well as Miami-Dade Miami County to the south for our catchment area. Um, but, but we believe that our, our central location of the Tri-County uh, region right here in South Florida gives us a, a very unique ability um, to help uh, not only attract business, uh, which our chambers and our economic development folks just absolutely love, um, and we've oftentimes been looked at as this smaller airport that was north of, of the big machine that's to our Not south. so small anymore. Not so small anymore. And, and we like to believe that we not only um, offer a different choice uh, in terms of, of who flies in and out of here, but we are the choice, the airport of choice uh, for South Florida. I think we, we, we see a lot of different positive effects going on in the economy with, uh, with extremely low unemployment. Um, we're at about 2.8 or 2.9% in, in Broward here, we're below the national average. I think that we've had a lot of success working with our uh, fellow agencies, as I said, those economic development arms and those chambers that represent uh, the greater Fort Lauderdale area or other chambers around uh, the region they all need a really well-run airport yes. in order to attract uh, that business. And I think that we're working hard collaboratively with our airline partners, with our concession partners, with our rental car partners in order to, to deliver on that, on that promise of a, of a great experience. We are not without our issues here. That is for sure. There are a number of different things that have been identified um, within the county and within South Florida that we need to focus in on, whether it be on transportation issues. You may have two runways that work really well, but if some of the roadways and, and the aerial, the arterial uh, uh, roadway systems are, are clogged and people aren't getting around, how do you move folks about the region, yeah. particularly when you have tens of millions of, of passengers that are flowing in and out of here on any given day? I think that you know, whether it's affordable housing issues uh, for workforce development, we're seeing, uh, again, we want to move a little bit away, I want to move a little bit away from being known just for sun, sand, beaches to sure. all the other things that we have to offer in healthcare, life sciences, and bio, and yes. education, and culture, food. Um, there is just so much here to offer that sometimes we don't focus on. and. Uh, Again, whether you're in any one of those industries that I reference, the, the, uh, the common denominator in a lot of respects uh, is that folks need, want, um, must have 
uh, an airport that they yeah. can fly in and out of um, all year round and do it reliably. Well, it's funny because I spoke, uh, not spoke, I'm sorry. I was listening to another podcast and I subscribed, sadly, to 18 of them. And make time to listen to all of them, by the way. Um, I was listening to, an, uh, to a podcast and it was about tech and how they were um, – Develop. There's always someone's always looking for the, the the other Silicon Valley, right? The Silicon Valley of the Midwest, Silicon Valley of the Northeast, whatever it is. And they focused on Indiana, and um, they were talking about how all they had uh, they worked with the colleges and it's the city, et cetera, to try to develop a um, a tech hub of sorts, which would then rely on the airport. And I texted it to a friend at Indianapolis International and said, you should listen to this because it makes sense for how you guys would benefit. I see the same thing here. That's why I'm saying, um, obviously, it it, could, it kind of works in tandem, right? The airport growth and the region's growth. And that's, I, that's kind of what I was getting at. Your growth obviously coincides with the growth of the region and vice versa. There, there's growth in the region and there's a new saying that's being used um, by, by many down here who help foster some of that. And it, it goes something along the lines, work in the cloud, live in the sun. Um, <laughs> you know, technology mm-hmm. and our ability to actually work from virtually almost anywhere on the planet um, has really helped drive some of the decisions that any of us make as, as humans in terms of where we want to work, where we want to live, where we want to play. If you're tied to a particular geographic location specifically because of the work that you do, um, and you, you, you're more traditional, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a little older, so I, I, I get to a, a baby boomer in industry. I'm a little bit more traditional coming into the office each and every day. But mm-hmm. if you don't need to do that, if the, the area of expertise that you're in allows you to essentially work from anywhere, um, then you also have the opportunity to live anywhere that you want. Uh, and it's all those other things that we talked about that make a particular region attractive. Uh, we, we have some of the absolute best weather of any location on the planet, you get one of those storms that, every that now comes up then. every now and then, those hurricanes that uh, I faced it when I was in Philadelphia, not hurricanes, but blizzards. Yes. You know, you don't want to see those, of course, and, and uh, they do have the potential to to cause great uh, disruption, uh, property damage, and even loss of life. But that said, I think that um, there are other challenges living in a location that we're all focused in on, whether it be... Uh, environmental changes such as sea level rise in yeah. a particular area and, and so forth. When you balance that off with the the other advantages that you get from, from living in a location like this, I, I think you come out a winner all the way around. And I do believe that the folks that we're working with who are working so hard to market our area to attract those businesses, not just domestically but internationally, have them sure. locate here, if not... Broward, certainly within the, the, the South Florida area, mm-hmm. when Amazon was looking for the, the new location for HQ2, um, Broward didn't submit on their own. We submitted along with Miami for a South Florida complex. We were unsuccessful, but we viewed that as, a, as an advantage, that no, it sure. wasn't just about one county versus the other county. Um, there was opportunity for competing counties in many respects, competing airports and whatnot, to actually join forces. Um, and that, I think that makes us a little bit unique compared to some other locations around the globe. But the unity in that uh, example notwithstanding, mm-hmm. I'm looking again at your carrier mix. Sure. And you, it's very, very, um, you know, it, it's great for obviously creating or, or attracting a lot of businesses. Again, you're not 
totally beholden to one. I mean, you have Southwestern Jet Blues and Spirits, et cetera, which great for the um, you know the, the leisure traveler, but for the business traveler, as I know, I'm a Southwest person, so uh, I, I do come down here to you, Southwest, and its uh, connections. So I can see just how um, how conducive it is to create a network in a region uh, or industry in this region. We all uh, play our own niche, if you will. Yes. And, and uh, <laughs> Fort Lauderdale, Hollywood International has long been known as a as a low cost uh, airport. Um, but we've also been able to implement literally billions of dollars worth of investment into this infrastructure. Just two weeks ago, the Wall Street Journal uh, released a survey that, that showed a result of Fort Lauderdale being ranked in the top three airports in the nation yes. by, by their readers. That was a wonderful uh, uh, you know, story for us to pick up, and, and we're, we're proud of the work that we do here at, 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 at Broward uh, at the same time, there was a, another uh, survey that was released by uh, Points Guy, mm-hmm. um, and that was picked up in a number of different um, uh, media streams, n- not the least of which was Forbes, um, that identified Fort Lauderdale as one of the most affordable airports in the United States, also ranked number three and, and most affordable. When you take um, the Wall Street Journal report in terms of uh, how folks view our facility, uh, the ability to get in and out, the amenities, the different types of air services that, that we provide here with our airline partners, combine it with being one of the most affordable airports in the country. That is a recipe. And most connected. And more connected. More connected. Yeah. Uh, that's a recipe for, for success. We truly value um, the very diverse air service portfolio that we yes. have here at FLL. You know, there are those airports that, that have market dominance by one carrier. I, I lived some of that. I'm not saying that there's anything particularly wrong with that. Um, as opposed to one carrier having 70 or 80% market share, my largest carrier at Fort Lauderdale right now is JetBlue at 24%, with Spirit uh, right on their tail at, at about 23%, and Southwest right on their tail at about 21% all of whom have been identified as a low-cost carrier, all of whom have expressed sincere interest in FLL and want to grow uh, their operations here at FLL going forward, to the point where the additional demand um, for infrastructure balanced with um, how do you pay for that infrastructure becomes a dialogue with your business partners that says, you want more, we need to actually fuel the engine mm-hmm. in order to provide an infrastructure. How are we going to work together to get that done? To date, I'm, I'm really grateful that our, our air carriers, our signatory airlines, have not only stayed at the table with me throughout our master planning process and whatnot, but I was, uh, I was also afforded and blessed with the opportunity to have uh, the, the CEO of Spirit Airlines, Ted Christie, along with the president of JetBlue, Joanna Garrity, sitting right next to me when we gave the presentation to our board of county commissioners to demonstrate the fact that they believe in FLL and they they want to see uh, changes occur, continue changes to occur here. Clearly, they want the most bang for the buck. They don't want to see their costs go sky high. Um, But I think they recognize that we need to continue to invest in the future of this facility 
so as not to hamper the strategic vision of their particular airlines as well. And we see that across the board with, with our carriers that we service here. Um, with a projected CPE of, of $7.70, um, you know, with others that are not too far away from us with CPEs that exceed 20. And, and you I was going to say, I've seen higher, by the way. <laughs> there are some who are yeah. above 25, some are up, up over 30. At the end of the day, um, I think we all, no matter what size airport we are, we all want a very, very low CPE. The question is, how do you achieve that um, and at the same time continue to invest in the facility, um, manage your growth responsibly to be able to deliver that fine balance between great facilities that are going to provide for a wonderful guest experience. It's going to help those airlines and those concessions and those rental car businesses to grow, which grows the economy of the local region, mm -hmm. and not let your costs get out of control at your airport facility at the same time. Important to note also, you mentioned JetBlue and Southwest, using you guys as a launching pad, by the way, for international traffic too. So it's not just, uh, you know, we've decided to really, we've chosen Fort Lauderdale because it's, it's a great city, great region, which it is, but it's also strategic which again makes you guys, it makes it for a very, again, business friendly or at least industry friendly um, area. International passenger traffic and then particularly the growth of the international passenger traffic market at FLL is something that we've been keenly watching and, and uh, something that we have invested in heavily. We, uh, we opened up a brand new federal inspection yes. facility in Concourse A back in 2017 and we're completing um, all the upgrades and the expansion of the uh, existing Federal Inspection Services area in Terminal 4 with the, the intent that when we talk to our airlines, whether they be those three, JetBlue, Spirit, Southwest, mm -hmm. the investments that they have made already in the international arena, Southwest taking out advertisements indicating that FLO is going to be the largest international gateway in their system, Spirit and JetBlue for the longest time, we almost didn't go a week without a new international destination identified. Um, we have airlines like Norwegian and uh, Tom A and Copa and Bahamas Air and Caribbean Air and many others, Avianca. We have a pretty diverse air service portfolio and we're looking to grow that portfolio. Interesting note, I told you I gave a presentation earlier today to a group of, of uh, business folks. Uh, one of the bullet points that we use is currently uh, FLL which, again, for a very long period of time has been identified as this small little airport uh, that, it, that technically sits on a, on, a, on a rather small piece of land, only 1,400 acres, but have been growing double digit on international traffic for the last five plus years. You're able to produce a bullet point that says, we now rank 10th in international passengers, mm -hmm. and I don't mean this to, uh, to demean or uh, uh, or rub this to any of my colleagues that I'll mention here, but we, you know, that, that's more international passengers than than San Diego, Chicago, Midway, uh, BWI, Salt Lake City, LaGuardia, Washington National, and Detroit combined um, at at nearly nine million international passengers. Wow. It's a really big segment of our market here. Uh, again, it was one of the fastest growing segments for a number of years. Uh, we're now at the point where. Uh, we slowed a little bit. We were the fastest growing air, uh, large hub airport in the United States, both in, in 2017 and in 2018. And we did forecast that our year-over-year -year growth would slow, mostly because we're running out of room, out of infrastructure, out of gates. Uh, and hence, we've, we've been working uh, 
for a very long time now on a master plan update with our mm -hmm. our airline partners uh, and others um, because I think it's incredibly important to, to yes. have the folks uh, from the concessions, from the rental car industry, uh, from other key stakeholders who have an opportunity to, to voice where they're going with their industries so that we can make really great business decision, decisions together. Well, that's great. I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm just going back to the reasons why I wanted to speak with you, and that's the word transformation regards to the airport. Um, you have been doing, not you personally, <laughs> but the work has been uh, going on over the last, gosh, how many, I forget how many years now. I have the benefit of just you guys being in my relative backyard and getting the seed transformation over the years. But I'd love for you to just talk about um, the work that's just been done and maybe some of the work that's ongoing at the moment. The airport embarked on a what then was characterized as a multi-billion dollar program. As of right now, we have it pegged at about $3.2 billion uh, worth of improvements that were put in in terms of a, uh, an airport uh, expansion and modernization effort. It carried a number of different tags with it over the, over the years. Um, the creation, if you will, of the new south runway, 8,000-foot runway, a parallel runway to the north runway, uh, really was designed to unlock the airport in many respects. Previous to that 8,000-foot runway, the airport had the 9,000-foot north runway mm -hmm. and two smaller runways that weren't really capable of supporting uh, jet traffic, or at least not to any significant degree. The two smaller runways were taken out of play, um, and a new 8,000-foot south runway, parallel runway to, to the north, was, was put in. I kind of liken this to uh, the the old uh, adage with, with Kevin Costner and Field of Dreams, build it and they will come. Okay. The South Runway was built and, and, and they have come and they are continuing to come and they want to continue to, to come. It seems, has, it seems like they've been coming even before that. That's kind of like what spurred If you go back to our, right? our, our history, the runway um, certainly was a, was a catalyst moment. Mm -hmm. But if you go back to 2013 timeframe to 2018, that five-year period, we went from 23.5 million passengers to 36 million passengers. It's 13 million passenger growth over the course of five years, or approximately 53%. That's somewhat unprecedented. Yeah. Um, and it, it is... Uh, in, in many respects, what folks would say, the things that we've experienced as a result of that growth, victims of our own success in, in the sense that there were pressure points that then started to say, hey, wait a minute, you put a new runway in, but you're still using this older terminal facility that wasn't designed to handle some of the traffic loads that it is currently seeing. Airlines that had said publicly we're going to grow our operation from here to here, whether it would be JetBlue, Spirit, or Southwest, counting on certain infrastructure to be in place. So that, that long terminal modernization build, which is still going to go on for another uh, approximately two years to mm -hmm. complete out the existing program, takes us to um, approximately 66 gates. That, we believe, will support us um, to be able to get to somewhere around 19, 19 and a half million enplanements annually. It is certainly not enough to quench the thirst of no. our business partners or where they want to go. So we recently put a, uh, a majority and interest in the ballot out to our airlines to add in a new terminal complex. Uh, we'll 
generally referring to very loosely right now as uh, Terminal 5, uh, which would go to the east of Terminal 4. It'd be a five-gate domestic facility that will tie back into Terminal 4, uh, but will be treated as an independent, um, um, basically full unit terminal with its own passenger screening capabilities, baggage screening capabilities. Almost like a freestanding. Freestanding. Kind of like and we're working with our airlines about, you know, who's going to, who are we going to partner with to build that? We have partnered with many airlines here over the course of uh, the last several years. Southwest, Southwest. Uh, handles yes. the Terminal 1 construction for us. Uh, Delta is currently doing the uh, $220 plus million dollar renovation of Terminal 2. If you ride that past that facility right now, you can see the huge steel trusses that we've just put into place, which raises up uh, the roof structure of Terminal 2 um, by, you know, 50, 60 feet. Uh, we'll have a, a, a clear story uh, type setup with a, a new Delta Sky Club on the mezzanine level. It's going to be absolutely beautiful. JetBlue has been working with us on Terminal 3 uh, for many years right now. Mm -hmm. we're, we're certainly uh, not uh, adverse to working with our airline partners, and we probably will look to do that again on Terminal 5. To add five gates, uh, additional five gates, which would take us up to 71 gates, but that is just a, a very short-term stopgap yeah, measure say, yeah. um, for the longer-term master plan update, which we've, we've just completed. The good news is, as I said earlier, we're working with, uh, with a group of, of airline partners that in many respects understand the value of this airport, its geographic location, what it means to their system. When we put um, an MII ballot out and it comes back with no no votes uh, in mm -hmm. their $250 million facility that gets approved um, relatively quickly. Of course, we needed to demonstrate that uh, it was needed and, and what the rough order of magnitude costs were. Um, we hope to actually get that constructed in record time uh, with, with our airline partners. But we're going to keep our eye on the ball that as we move forward with this airport, there are certain other pressure points that still need to be addressed that are not really related to gates or taxiways or runways, um, more about our land side, our roadway operation, ingress and egress, parking. Mm -hmm. um, you know, rental car revenue is the largest source of non-airline revenue here at, at the airport. We have you know, 5,000 cars a day that, that are, are rented. Um, we need to be able to get traffic in and out of this facility seamlessly and our roadways were identified as one of the contributing factors to congestion, to delay, to frustration. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, they weren't really designed to handle the traffic of 2020. Um, they were more in the 1980 region. So our, our plan obviously needs to include how do we address landside inefficiencies, garages that weren't constructed to be able to accommodate more parking, as well as take care of some of the other things that we really want to do, whether it be a hotel, whether it be an automated people mover system, a connection that gets us from this airport over to our seaport uh, a mile and a half away, but also a connection to the red line, which is you know, was bright line yesterday, virgin today, that rides uh, right along the tangent uh, of the airport. How do we connect into that so that we are truly multimodal 
and we're addressing the needs of all our patrons coming through. There is uh, always something going on in terms of, of how do we keep pace with, with growth here, but it's, it's a wonderful feeling to have partners who are looking for opportunity to help you get there. But you hit you you hit a couple of things that I've already just put down in my notes. By the way, and I'm going to get to it in a second. It's uh, it's worth noting for those listening then that there's a great uh, five to six minute video on the website that really just details everything that's going to be going on in the modernization plan. I, I've been watching it like four or five times now. It's great. I love. Uh, I'd love to get to the point where I see the uh, the automated people mover as well, which would be great. Connecting everything. From, you think you know. about what we spend sometimes um, on moving passengers around um, via shuttle bus, you know, and a uh, fleet yeah. of 50 shuttle buses and the millions of dollars that are spent. We'd like to be able to reduce our carbon footprint. We want to make the system a little bit more reliable. Um, we want to, to make it a little bit more passenger friendly. We also have a very large segment of airport employees that are parked off airport. We'd like to find a way to bring them back into the airport environment. Um, that, that goes a long, long way to improving um, overall morale and motivation and doing a great job and, and take those savings that would be generated from a shuttle bus operation and, and put it towards uh, whether it be some type of an availability payment or a debt service payment for mm -hmm. an automated people mover system. I mean, I, I think that um, the six-minute video that you you make reference to, we've we've broken uh, our long-range master plan down into into three uh, distinct phases. Phase one addresses a lot of the land side and some of the air side. Phase two does some of the land side, but a lot of the terminal. Uh, areas and phase three kind of finishes everything off right now we think that this airport without an additional runway uh, which could be difficult to implement yeah. here um, without an additional runway being a two runway system we max out at about 95 aircraft gates contact gates uh, along with um, hard stand parking and the reason why we maxed out at about that that uh, that gate count is going higher than that, particularly with the type of airlines that we have here, who turn gates several times a day, six, seven, eight, or more times a day. We would outstrip the capacity of a two runway system and actually get into gridlock. So right now, the goal is uh, the, the 20-year planning horizon is to get us to uh, 95 gates at the airport, which. Our forecast, both through our master plan as well as the FAA's terminal area forecast, indicates that we will be the fastest growing airport in the nation up through the year 2035, and we would hit 53 million passengers annually wow. if the infrastructure is in place to support it. So our challenge is growth will continue to come. We believe that um, all the information that we have, individual forecasts from airlines, the way that our region has been growing, the attractiveness of South Florida, we will hit those numbers if we put the infrastructure in place to support it. If it's not there, clearly those numbers cannot be achieved. That would be a terrific disappointment to some of our major business partners, airlines and others, and they may look for opportunity then to move their assets in a different direction other than for this airport here. 
therein lies the, the discussion, the negotiation, the partnership yeah. of, of trying to drive to the net um, as two or three or four as opposed to um, defense in front of you trying to, to stop or make you detour all the time. We'll return to the interview in just a few moments. Jabberbox is designed specifically for the on-the-go mobile worker in need of a private and personal on-the-go work haven. Imagine a plush and private workspace designed for your travelers to comfortably recharge, connect, and work. Yes, do work. Because each Jabberbox unit is equipped to provide an environment where users can finish that presentation, finish that conference call, finish prepping for that big meeting, and more. A Jabberbox unit or units is something that your airport cannot do without. For more information on how to bring Jabberbox to your airport, please visit Jabberbox.com. That's J-A-B-B-R-R-B-O-X, Jabberbox.com. And now, back to the interview. It's it's funny because, uh, again, you must be reading my notes. You're not seeing my no, notes. No, no, no. Okay, you're not. You're it's not a beautiful seeing my notes. laptop, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and and my, other, my follow-up question was, just forget about timelines, dollars, etc. Like, how many gates would you need? You feel to be comfortable to be comfortably serving where you feel you'll be in five, ten years. I think you mentioned like ninety-five or so, or whatever. But like, where would you like to be? The way that we've and um, it's not binding, by the way. No, just the, no, no. no, no. <laughs> this what is a is want. binding? These, these <laughs> exactly. Air, we we premise our our master plan update documents that it will be uh, the the changes, the improvements. Development will be driven by demand and financial uh, and funding availability. Um, but if you didn't have that, let's just say you you have that, I should say. I what, what would you like to if be I think, I, I think that um, as we project forward, we, we, we have placed a very methodical, let's get to approximately 77 gates okay. as a break point, see what's going on with the economy. Then we have another break point at approximately 85 gates. And then the final phase will be an additional 10 gates to get us up to 95 uh, gates. Uh, my plan is, is to make sure that this team, this airport, this family is as resilient as can possibly be. It can withstand you know, a punch in the gut from, mm -hmm. from a recession. It can withstand the, the loss of, of uh, an airline or, or airlines or a merger activity that takes away some flight activity. If we're able to actually pick those breakpoints that everybody is comfortable with, then I think we have a pretty solid look ahead in the future. The other thing that I've let our, our business partners know, and this is what I keep on telling everybody, even phase one of our master plan that adds gates, changes the roadways, and looks to put the people over system in an intermodal connection off to the seaport and into rail and whatnot, we can propose to actually lay those improvements in at a specified rate where you might see it in 8, 10, 12 years or more. However, mm -hmm. if that doesn't work from the strategic business standpoint of our partners, I call it the accordion effect. We can actually work with you to compress the accordion and bring those infrastructure improvements in earlier, where in it's 6, 8, or 10 years. By doing that, what will happen is we will spend more money up front. Cost will rise faster, but infrastructure may be in place for you to utilize if that fits your business model and that's attractive to you. We've all seen the aircraft orders that have been coming out from Spirit Airlines mm -hmm. and JetBlue and others, whether it be 
uh, you know, the, the Airbus 220 series that JetBlue's focused mm -hmm. in on, along with 321 XLRs, and we've seen 100 new aircraft uh, order from Spirit Airlines. If there's metal that is looking to fly in and out of locations, we'd like them to be flying in and out of here. How we put the infrastructure in at Fort Lauderdale in, in, in the timing of that, in large part, is going to rely on how fast some of our business partners sure. want to go, how fast our county commission wants to go. There's one thing that I'll always tell um, our electeds, our county administrator, our business partners, is that I believe in trying to manage our growth responsibly. Don't do it so fast that we're going to burn out. Don't do it so slow that we're going to miss opportunity and people yes. are going to do elsewhere. Yeah. Trying to read that crystal ball can be a little difficult at times. It's made easier by, um, by business partners and, and by county leaders who have indicated that they, they want to see things move forward at a specified pace. And so long as we can all agree to what that pace is going to be and where the funding is going to come from, and I think we have a really solid roadmap to follow. And, and thus that measured tiered approach from 7785, et cetera, just... Exactly. And there's also, there's some environmental breakpoints in there um, sure. when, when you might need to go back. We're, we, we have authorization uh, to go up to 77 gates under the current environmental documents that have been prepared for the airport as part of the runway uh, project and terminal expansion. If we look to go beyond those 77, we need to go back and do some type of environmental work, whether it be a supplemental EIS or maybe even a new EIS. I would hope it would be a supplemental would, would, would get us through that time frame. So there's more things that sometimes at stake that could slow us down if we're not careful sure. outside of uh, desire and financial capability. There are, there are other things that need to come into the picture um, at the same time. It's funny because uh, I'm looking right over your shoulder, by the way, at the aerial, from the 2016 aerial map of the airport, very land constrained, or I should say just constrained by all the runway, um, the, the network of roads and systems and such. Um, and I can see how that hampers the growth. If you want it there, it's just, yeah, you're just too tight. Is there a comp within the industry that, that you could think of that could say, okay, we, we are growing tremendously, but we're just so constrained. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking perhaps maybe Austin, but uh, is there is there one you could think of, really? Um, yes. Uh, <laughs> I look at it this way, and, <laughs> and, and, and uh, I think that my counterpart in, in that uh, airport uh, may also look at it that way. So we, we sometimes have uh, characterized FLL as the uh, miniature version of LAX, the, oh. the layout of LAX with the roadway system and how the terminals are configured, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, whether they resemble us, we resemble them, um, they're obviously clearly bigger than, than Fort Lauderdale. But I think that the issues uh, that, that my counterpart, Deborah Flint, and her team have faced and some of the things that challenges that they've had where they're looking to put in their automated people mover system and, and how they have to deal with uh, the, the, the huge influx of transportation network companies like Uber yes. and Lyft and, and make decisions that, okay, if you want an Uber and Lyft, you're now going to have to get into a shuttle bus and go off to a remote lot because mm -hmm. our roadways have become so congested. congested and constrained. We do look at them and, and we, we, we canvas industry. We talk to our peers, we, whether it's terminal development 
when I'm talking to Seattle, LAX, JFK, Dallas, airports around the country we speak to, to try to get lessons learned from them and how we're going to further develop our facility. I think when it when we take a look at, again, the, the restricted landmass that is FLL, for our listeners who don't see it, you know, we... We have two interstates that border the airport, I-95 and I-595, yes. that kind of cap two sides of that. One side is is then capped by Port Everglades, which is a, its own economic engine, mm-hmm. uh, one of the, the, the largest seaports in the world um, that, that uh, provides a lot of employment and connectivity. And then on, on our south side, we have a, um, a noise-sensitive area and a residential uh, area that resides just to the south of the airport. So when you think about those four sides and how we're kind of locked into place, where do we go with growth? And sometimes yeah. we can't go too far up, down, left, right. Sometimes we have to go up, um, and that's one of our, our challenges right now is going vertical. In the master plan... Uh, we talk about taking down uh, one of the airport's uh, oldest garages, the Palm Garage. It has about mm-hmm. 2,500 parking spaces. And it's not just that just it doesn't produce from a parking perspective to three of our major terminals, Terminal 2, 3, and 4, all use the Palm Garage. Uh, it's that the roadways have to navigate around the Palm Garage, and therein lies some of that constriction. Um, it's a labyrinth. <laughs> pushing a lot of that mm-hmm. traffic through very yeah. narrow roadway systems. So taking down that Palm Garage and redoing our roadways, adding supplemental roadway systems and curbs in place, but then not forgoing the vertical asset that's above those roadways and coming back in with a nine-story garage, with a hotel, with a commercial center where folks that fly in and out, particularly cruise passengers, mm-hmm. who sometimes get off the ships at 6 o'clock in the morning and come to our airport facility for a 4 o'clock in the afternoon flight that are sitting around with not a lot of things to do. Sure, We want to provide them with entertainment. We want to provide them with an opportunity to relax and enjoy our facilities. They're the things that we have, have long identified as some of the, uh, the, the issues that, that the airport has to overcome. If we don't do it as part of this new master plan update, I don't think that we are going to get it done, frankly. But I I do think that um, we spent quite a bit of time thinking this through with our partners. I treated this process as as an iterative process, understanding that our airlines have voting rights on capital programs here, understanding that our county commission needs to approve anything that we put forward. So I went back and forth between our airlines. Hey, what do you think about this? You get comfortable with this? Take it to our county commission. What do you think about this? You good with this? A good the direction that we're going to the point where the two, after two and a half, three years, merged where the preferred alternative was the one that the board liked. It's also the one that the airlines liked. So no surprises no. at the end of the day. Vision without execution is just hallucination. And we have a great vision. Uh, we need to make sure that we can execute um, and not hallucinate here. You mentioned Brightline because I'm looking at my notes as well, or Virgin Trains, however, mm-hmm. whichever it's named now. Um, that could potentially, obviously, another way to channel more traffic your way, correct? And, and last time I was here and we, we interviewed you at, at the airport, um, you pointed outside and said, okay, this is where I'd love for maybe a multimodal uh, building or system can come in. Right. And uh, Brightline was one of those options, or could be. 
that that could that's a, also another game changer, right? Those those discussions are are still active and in play. Um, uh, I gave an interview to to another entity uh, probably a week or two ago, and I, I likened it to the area off the off the east end of the airport where we talk about building an intermodal center where we talk about building an expansion to our rental car facility because they have a desire mm -hmm. to grow and we don't necessarily want to have to go and build a whole new con rack uh, off airport um, and it's also one of the airport's um, internal um, uh, airport roadway systems through there i likened it to threading a needle through that particular area. Can we get it all in the footprint that we have? Mm -hmm. And I think the answer is yes. We've been going back and forth with their technical folks, our technical folks, with uh, not only the folks from Brightline Virgin, but also folks who, who actually operate the railroad on that line. Uh, we still contend that not only is this a, a, a viable uh, development uh, for the airport, we think it's, it's going to be necessary on a lot of different levels. Folks that want to access this facility um, from Miami or from West Palm or from Orlando or any other place along that routing. Sure. If they make their way to that intermodal center located uh, right at the edge of the airport, that intermodal center, we believe, at uh, what we call, sometimes refer to as phase two, will connect off into the seaport, Port Everglades, and hit the terminals um, so that you could take, you could literally take uh, Brightline Virgin get off there and not come into the airport, but actually take the train and if you were taking a cruise out and get to it from from, uh, from that vantage. Many don't know, uh, but, but it is a huge project that is underway right now to expand um, the convention center. Yes. So it sits right uh, at the edge of, of the seaport as well, actually doubling the space within the convention center to be able to attract some of the largest conventions in, in the world. And an 800-room hotel, which is going to be located directly adjacent to the convention center. We want to see that automated people mover system in the future connect to those two on the same line as well. If you think about those economic engines and the powerhouse that exists within a one-and-a-half-mile radius, with, a, with enough brain power in the room, and we, we certainly have a lot of it here working on, on these different programs, um, we believe that we can actually execute on these issues. It won't be hallucination. The concepts have been around in Broward for a long time. The, the airport seaport connection um, by an automated guideway, if you will, has been in existence for conceptually for at least 10 years. There's been challenges to getting it done, but I think that we're, we're, we're uniquely positioned right now. One of the things that the the county did recently was put out a, a referendum for a transportation surtax, a one penny increase mm -hmm. uh, to that. be used for transportation related projects in the region. And there's a lot of different projects that need to be used in the region, but it'll generate some $350 million annually, and that's the estimated amount, or approximately $16 billion over the course of a, of a 30 year uh, term before it, it, it sunsets. What those funds get used for is, is yet to be determined. We'd like to see the airport seaport connection considered for, for the use of some of those funds. Um, the airport will always be a player in terms of, of not only the development of the intermodal center, um, but we'd want to be able to see 
all those cruise passengers that go back and forth between here and Port Everglades be able to do so seamlessly and in a way that they've not been able to do at any airport seaport connection in the world. Mm -hmm. Just Definitely. this past uh, Sunday, there were nine ships in port. Um, and that's <laughs> yes. a lot of folks when mm -hmm. the ships are getting bigger, five, six, or 7,000 passengers potentially on these ships. You have that many getting off, that many getting on. There's a lot of traffic that is coming and going. Uh, they're utilizing this airport. They're utilizing MIA. They're, they're, um, some maybe even going up to, to Palm Beach. We at Broward want to make sure that however we set up our airport seaport engines uh, is done in such a way that we can, we can facilitate that seamless connection going back and forth. So essentially, the, to sum all of this up, there's a lot of choreography. There is, and, <laughs> and we, we, we're not always the conductor of our own music, as they say. It's, you know, sure. There are others that, that have to chime in from regulatory agencies to business partners to different municipalities that we may cross into jurisdictional areas and whatnot. It clearly is a work. In, You're in coalition progress. building, basically. We are, yeah. and as I said uh, earlier in the, uh, in the interview, I am truly grateful for some of the partners that we have at the table already. We continue to work hard together. It doesn't necessarily mean we don't have disagreements about where certain things should go. Is it, are we willing to spend that much money on, on this type of improvement? Um, but it's better than folks going off into the corners and not talking to each other. There has just been a tremendous amount of engagement that has been done um, both internally to the airport as well as externally to uh, the agencies, to the business community, to brief them on at least what our plans here are in the airport, but they sometimes blend or overlap with other things that are going on within the county at large. And so long as we, within the county government, are looking at the big picture, including things that may be going on in any one of those 31 different cities that, that are located within Broward, and looking at all of that um, as, we, as we go to do development infrastructure improvement, then I think we're going to be winners in this. I think that we're going to be quite successful in, in the outcomes. So, Mark, my, my last question for you, and thank you again for taking the time to speak with me. Why do you look nationally? Talk about any pain points. Obviously, PFCs is the, the big thing. It can trickle back and impact uh, what you're trying to do here. So what are some of the pain points that you see on a national level, and how could they potentially impact you here in Fort Lauderdale? We talked about some of them. We didn't necessarily yeah. talk about the PFCs, and, and we'll always be advocates for adjusting the PFC to, to a more current level. Um, I think we all, as, as airport managers, understand the struggle that has been since you know, 2001 timeframe uh, with, a, with a PFC that has not been adjusted or cap lifted, and its spending power has been greatly uh, minimized. It's growing. Things, the gap is growing. Things don't cost the same today as they yes. did 20 years ago. That's for sure. We've been able to utilize PFCs uh, on a number of, of great projects here at Fort Lauderdale, and, and we boast that. But when you, when you take all the things that I just talked about in terms of striking that balance between um, a low-cost per-plane passenger um, but still needing to put infrastructure in place. The money has to come from somewhere. One of the things that, that I didn't mention is we, I, I believe, have a, a, if not one of the best, but certainly a highly competitive non-airline revenue 
to airline revenue ratio, we're currently running about 63% non-airline revenue. And that's important for us as a, as a low-cost airport to keep our, our airline costs as low as we can. Um, and that means that we need to take a look at non-airline revenue sources uh, and how do we actually drive new non-airline revenue so that we can have a better opportunity of keeping our airline costs low. When you think about rental cars and you think about uh, parking operations, which are our two largest non-airline revenue sources, but you then you think about what the impacts of a transportation network company, an Uber, a Lyft, a Toro, some of those external influences coming in where revenue diminishes in many respects and, you, and you're not gaining it on the other side, you run the risk of actually having that non-airline revenue component shrink, which in our agreements as a residual-based agreement is going to require that the airline revenue requirement increase. That's not something that our airlines wish to see. No, of course um, not. If PFC capacity uh, is capped, um, and, and we we have extended ourselves as far as we can go with projects, you know, given the current capacity at at four dollars and fifty cents, without an increase in that, the only way to get those projects funded—not the only way, but the most likely way to get them funded would would be to to bond it and the debt service from those bonds from those garbs are going to hit the rate base for the airlines um i think that there there should be a path forward hopefully uh, mines in washington will come together in, in a way that um we may not get everything we want out of a pfc increase uh, going from zero to 60. maybe there's uh there's a middle ground there that airports can live with that uh, the opponents to uh, to a PFC increase can live with because they they know that um, there are airports out there uh, like ours where that PFC will get put to good use and it will help keep their cost low uh, here. But that four dollars and fifty cents is not going to deter somebody from buying a ticket from actually going through mm-hmm. that that particular airport facility. On a national level. As an international airport, we struggle with, like every other large gateway airport on, on U.S. Customs and, and, and Border Patrol, uh, yes. you know, the, the staffing levels that exist. We work really closely with CBP. I, many, like my, uh, my airline uh, partners here, we have a phenomenal uh, port director on the CBP side of the house. We have a phenomenal TSA federal security director. Uh, we have a great captain in our law enforcement here at the Broward Sheriff's Office. We collaborate on, on a variety of different issues, but at the end of the day, staffing is staffing is staffing. And um, technology, wherever it may be going with biometrics, uh, maybe that plays with the equation of how much workforce you need at any one particular mm-hmm. time. And if you can, I, I tell some of our, our airline partners, Yes, we're already into biometrics. We're already processing passengers with biometrics, you know, coming in internationally, and we're going to be doing it, you know, at other locations throughout the airport. We're going to take on a common platform and, and, and run it. But what that means to me is if we're able to get people through the customs process faster, you need to get the bags from the airplane yeah. to the carousel faster, or we're just going to efficiently. Have, uh, <laughs> we're going to have big, big crowds of people sitting inside mm-hmm. uh, an FIS hall waiting to pick up their bags. How are they going to 
um, speed up their processes so that they don't become the weak link in that in that chain. So, again, I think that there are a number of different things that keep us up on a national level. Um, you know, how we interact with or we don't sometimes uh, with those TNCs, uh, issues that airports face with Toro or Toro-like companies who are essentially almost operating as, as rental car uh, yes. facilities with, with no agreements with the airports. Over to the other side of the spectrum with, with PFCs. I don't, I don't know that my um, uh, the things that keep me up at night are much different than some of my colleagues in, in that respect, and we're all working closely to it. But there are some airport-specific things that, that we all want to focus in on, and you know we've had um, really positive momentum here at this airport, even in the face of some things that, that arguably uh, were not what we would have wished had happened whether uh, our incident that occurred back in 2017 with our shooting. We've had several hurricanes. Uh, we had a, a FedEx plane crash in, in 2016. We, we had a number of different things that have been thrown our way. <laughs> yeah. uh, but that resiliency and the ability to bounce back and work with our partners, I think, has, has carried us through some really difficult moments. I do think that our future is incredibly bright, um, but I will always approach our business with a a sense of, of responsibility to ensure that uh, what we're what we're about to embark on is the right thing to do, and we're going to work with our partners to, to get it done um, in the most efficient and expedient fashion. And with that, Mark, uh, that, that's all I have. Thanks for Thank taking you, time sir. to speak with me. Appreciate it, and uh, hopefully we'll see all of our listeners uh, flying through FLL here uh, in, in the coming days.